La pendule fait tic-tac, tic-tic. Les oiseaux du lac, pic-pac, pic-pic. Glou, 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 font tous les dindons. Et la jolie cloche, ding ding dong Mais boum, quand notre cœur fait boum, tout avec lui dit boum, et c'est l'amour. Hey, bonjour Rugby Friends and welcome to a new episode of French Rugby Connection with moi, Véronique Landiou and Mike Pierce. What a weekend, wins for France and Wales. We don't often have that luxury, do we? We did. That oh, was absolutely amazing. He really made my, my weekend. You know, uh, for France, I wasn't surprised. It was yeah. a very good warm-up game. For Wales, no, I didn't see coming. But how's your heart? Well, I tell you what, that last five minutes, geez, I thought, particularly when it went into the red and it went up to about 83, 84 minutes, I could feel my blood pressure just rising, you know, and I thought, I had to stand up and sort of pace around the lounge because I just it was just too much. But you know, that's that's what it's like with Wales. We never do anything easy. But you know, wins a win and absolutely delighted. You bet, you bet. Well deserved win. So today I had a, a catch up, not a catch up, I had a chat with Ian Bolshow. Wow. Yeah, so Ian Bolshow was part of the England rugby squad that won the World Cup in 2003. Yeah. <laughs> we played for Bath, Leeds, Gloucester before moving to France and playing for Biarritz. So I had a really good conversation with him regarding his thought about the Six Nations, the, his experience at the World World Cup in Australia, something to remember for forever. And it's a rugby days in, in Biarritz. So really, wow. really good. I'm sure you will enjoy it. Yeah, I can't wait. So no. Ian Robert Balcho, let me uh, remind my, my listeners. So you were born in, in Blackburn on the 18th of April, 1979? Correct. You learned to play rugby at Stonyhurst College in the northwest of England. In which, Correct, field, yes. in which field Greenswood, her mother, was your math teacher? <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. Same Greenwood, yes. <laughs> oh, so in that college you had, so Phil Greenwood, you also had Kieran Bracken previously as well, that came to that yeah. college. That's so, correct. Yeah. and uh, They were a lot older than me. They were far older than I was at the time. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Phil Greenwood is ancient. Let's exactly, not... <laughs> Let's not talk about Karen Bracken. I won't say anything. <laughs> and uh, during a game between Stony Hurts College versus Lancaster Grammar School, you were supported by Brian Ashton. And Brian Ashton was? He was the England coach at the, the, the time, or the Bath coach, actually, should I say. Ex the Bath and then, then future England coach. Thanks to him as well. You joined Bath at the age of 18. And you remained there for six years, making 106 appearances. And uh, in your premiership career, you scored 52 tries. And in 1990, your most scored tries in the league were 15. So well done. Oh, thank you. Better memory than I have. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your international scene. So you collected your first cap in the 2006 Nations, coming on as a replacement against Ireland. And the score was, do you still remember the score? I believe we won. 
I I wouldn't know the score. I I, I don't know twenty three fifteen. According to my research, it was fifty eighteen. Oh, 50-18. Wow. Okay. It must have been a good game. It was so good. <laughs> I can't remember it. <laughs> and you started, you know, with Mike Tindall and Ben Cohen and Kevin Bax. Kevin Bax. Yes. So a great memory, I'm sure. So you went on to win 35 caps and you scored 13 tries along the way. Correct. And you yeah. were part, of course, of the 2003 World Cup squad called as a replacement and you were one of the first to hug Johnny Wilkinson. Actually, you were trying to high-five him, I believe, but the <laughs> high-five became a hug or something like that. And no, I think before- I... Yes. I think I actually missed that. We went for the high five and I think we missed. <laughs> <laughs> Such was our coordination. <laughs> yes. I believe, and just well, just uh, it happened. You were saying you were the closest to him, and you said to Johnny, "Say, give me the ball, give me the ball." Unfortunately, <laughs> he didn't listen to you and kicked that drop goal, and the rest is history. Uh, correct. I, yeah. I think he realised when I was outside him that he didn't want to pass me the ball, and the best option was to win the World Cup with a drop goal. Yeah. And hence, that's what he did. No problem at all. <laughs> I was happy with that. <laughs> yeah. So I also need to mention about your Lions experience. So you were called yeah. up to tour with the 2001 Lions to Australia. You were only 21. That's really, really yeah, great that's achievement. Correct. And uh, talking about your, your English career. So after Bath, where you remained six years, you played for Leeds. Gloucester, and in 2009, you were part of the English Exodus, moving to La Belle France, I wonder why, to play for <laughs> Biarritz. Biarritz. Yeah. Yes. So, iconic club from La Côte Basque, where Serge Blanco wore the same shirt as you, number 15. Correct, yes. And Very, after... um... yes? no, I was going to say, and, and I'm still here. <laughs> That's how much I like it. <laughs> Yes, let's talk about your achievement about in Biarritz. You, you uh, scored 50 points with the club and after five years, you decided to retire in 2014. Same year as Johnny Wilkinson, actually. I think the last person to retire from your English rugby squad was Mac Tindall. Yes, I think that's correct. He, he, he retired one month after I did. Oh, full work. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you enjoy life so much in France. You decided to stay in Biarritz. And now I'm very pleased you have become a French citizen as well. And uh, <laughs> you work, however, for an English company, which is, what, what is it called? Yes, I work for an English finance company called Alpha Group PLC. I work with investment managers, fund administrators in the finance world all around Europe, but predominantly uh, in the UK. Excellent. So makes you so as you are traveling before COVID, you used to travel on a weekly <laughs> a basis to uh, to Correct. Angleterre. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Not anymore. As I was mentioning earlier, you started your professional career in 2000 when you came on a as a substitute in the inaugural Six Nations Championship against Ireland, and you also made. Your first team debut the following year in the 2001 Six Nations opener against Wales, in which England won 44 to 15, thanks to your big part <laughs> as a fullback. So tell me, what, what do you make of the Six Nations right now? First of all, because you are half French now, what do you make of the French team 
<laughs> I better be careful what I say, <laughs> depending on who's listening. Um, <laughs> um, look, I think the French team, they've come on leaps and bounds. I think they've had, it's all stemmed from having a, a very good under-20s team for the, the last three, four, five years. And they've kept the nucleus of the team together. And now, as you've seen, with their senior team, the core squad has come through the different age groups and they're playing some fantastic rugby. I think they could, they're only going to get better. I think the addition of Sean Edwards into the team, into the coaching team, has galvanised them, gave them an Anglo-Saxon edge and stability, along with the, sense, the so-called French flair. I think also what's happened is in France over the past 10 years, the French have always been very, very good at rugby, but they just lack consistency. And I think what's happened is players coming to France from various parts of the world have instilled the professionalism throughout the club teams. So the young French players have seen what it's like to be a Johnny Wilkinson, Sexton, Carter, and all the other superstar players that, that have come here. So they've seen what it takes to, to get to that level. And they now, they make sure that their nutrition's good, their physicality is good in terms of their physical preparation, their recovery protocols, and they're becoming more and more professional. And, the, and you're seeing that professionalism come out in their performances. And, and so far, after the first game, and obviously before the, this first match, in the previous games that the French team have played, they've been, they've been excellent. Uh, and I think, honestly, I think come the 2023 World Cup, which obviously everyone's preparing and planning for, that they're going to be a real force uh, to be reckoned with. Absolutely, absolutely. And you, did you watch the game against Italy this weekend? Yes, I did. It was, for me, the game, I had no doubts that France were going to win. And it, But it's very, in, French teams in the past would never have put a team like Italy to the sword. They would all have scored, probably have scored two or three tries and then relaxed a little bit. Italy may have scored, relaxed a little bit, and the score might have been quite close. Where I think this team now, and as I've mentioned with Sean Edwards and the other coaching members the, who've instilled the, I'd say, the the, men, the mental side to never take their foot off the gas and, you know, to score 50 points in any test match. They did it very comfortably in the end. It's going to be very interesting, I think, this weekend to see if they can up their performance against an Irish team who played very well against uh, Wales with only 14 men. I personally think if Wales, if Ireland had 15 men on the field, they probably would have snuck the game against Wales. Uh, but that's going to be a tough game uh, in Ireland for, for the French. And that's, I think, once we see the result of this game and see the performance that the French team put in, we'll see if they can are capable of going on, on to win the tournament. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I think you are right. And for next week, I see as a, a fight between a young stag fighting against um, uh, an old stag because if you look at the age of the Irish team you know I think they're yeah. getting on a bit uh, and French average age is 24 years old with I think average cap was 15 you know and you're absolutely yeah. right you know they got the, the rigor from 
uh, and the structure from Northern Issue Network, also from Fabien Gatier. And you of played, course. I... You played against Fabien many times in, yes. the, in early 2000 and also in the World Cup. <laughs> I think I think just on that point with with having it's it's the it's the having a good mixture of both. Obviously, the French side of things, and obviously the Anglo-Saxon side, and it's about the two coaching parties coming together and taking the best bits from both. And I think I believe for a good French team, you can't have one without the other. But you, you've seen, obviously, look at their defense, look at their fitness levels; have all gone a lot higher. Their speed, their power, and again, you, as you've rightly mentioned, they're a very young team, but starting to get a lot of experience. I think is this their third or fourth season, maybe playing together, and then by the time the World Cup comes, they'll have five years of experience, four years of experience of playing together, which you know is invaluable. No, I've got it. They're great to watch as well. They've got some fantastic individuals, but as I think as a collective, they've got a no fear mentality and it's and it's great rugby to watch. Exactly. What did you make of Pruis Dulin performance? Oh, he's always been a, a, a very good player, a, a solid player. He's very, he's very quick. He's agile on his feet. He's got safe hands. He knows how to attack. The performance for the French team, I think what's so good about them, they have very good individuals, but I think it's the way they interlink and play together. And I think that comes from playing together for a long period of time, not just only in the first, in the French team now, the senior team, but also, as I mentioned, coming through the age groups together. They know each other very well. And just having that confidence in the way they play, knowing each other from 16 years old upwards, I think is very, very important. Yeah, that bunch of brothers closely nicked. And Fabien Gatier is proving his, his magic and his uh, technical expertise. To They're only going to get team. better. They're only going to get better, France, which is unfortunate for the other nations. <laughs> 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 but good if you're a French supporter. Vive la France! <laughs> yeah, but Ian, you know, it's about time. It's been 10 years, 10 years that one, uh, that France won lifted the Six Nations Cup. So yeah. I think it's, it's, it's about time. So what do you make of the English team right now? Oh, mm. well, obviously it's very disappointing. Look, there's no, England are not a bad team. You don't, we're second in the world, I think, in the rankings. We're not a bad team. We've got some outstanding players. I think we may be going through a lack of confidence. I'm not, I don't know. It's very hard to tell without being actually in the group. I was, let's not take it away from Scotland either. Scotland were very, very good at Twickenham. They were better than, uh, than England in every aspect of play. Defence, attack, kicking, scrimmaging. You know, it was a little bit of a shock. So I've got absolutely no excuses to make on, on England. We just got, Scotland played better. I think where when we can make a, a, a good judgment is how they perform in the next two games. I think Italy, it will be a test as always against Italy, but I, I would expect England to come and win quite comfortably. But then the, the biggest game obviously is after that to see if we can obviously start performing well. We just look sluggish. We look slow. We just look enthusiastic. We were second to everything, which is, you know, not like you'd want to see an English team for the first game in a, in a Six Nations tournament. So I know we've got great players. I know we can play well, but it's just now 
when the chips are down, can we galvanise, can the squad get galvanised, knuckle down and, and bring out performances that, you know, we want to see performances like they're putting against New Zealand in the, in the, in the World Cup. Uh, and unfortunately, since then, we haven't looked like playing like that, which which is a real shame because we know if you look at through our squad, we've got some world-class players. Absolutely. What a game. That was their World Cup. Unfortunately, yes. they would have played well. that game yeah. as a final, you know, that would have been amazing. How, how did you feel when you were called to play the 2003 Cup final? Well, it's look, it's every young boys and young girls dream to, to play for, the, for their country or represent their country in whatever sport. And obviously mine was to, to represent my country at rugby. And I think just to to be involved in the 2003 squad, you know, we had a fabulous team, fabulous group of guys. Uh, we had a, a mission four years previous. You know, that was we fully focused for four years on wanting to win that World Cup, and uh, and to do so in Australia and be part of the team is, is very difficult to explain in in words. You know, it's 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 a life. It's a a lifelong long ambition and to do it at 2023 it was it was it was incredible it's very very difficult to put into words but something you just understand in your own in your own person in your own head so yeah but i had a very i had a very sore head for the next few days after it, that was for sure <laughs> too much too much champagne and beer <laughs> yeah you parted all the way to london but before the game players used to play some of their songs to cheer them up and mm -hmm. you know to put them in the zone just a quick question random question what were the songs that motivated you at that stage oh. do you still remember <laughs> uh... I'm not sure, actually. I can't remember. I'd, something that was bouncy, something that was energetic, something, you know, some, anything that motivated, anything that moved to make you, you know, the rhythm went through you. And I, I think at that time as well, before the final, it was one of those times we'd, we'd prepared so much, so hard and long. This is not just like a 12-week period. This was, you know, as I said, a four-year plan. Everyone knew, you know, what their roles were. Everyone knew their, what their jobs were. And I think everybody, we got to the final. It was a long tournament, 12 weeks we'd been away, I think, in total. And, you know, we got to the final and everybody just wanted to get out there and just do their bit and perform. You know, there was no real shouting. There was no you know, running around. Everybody was just really focused on getting the job done. And I think that, you know, epitomized it at the final whistle when we went into extra time when when Jono just you know came to the circle and said look we you know we know what we need to do very calmly we've practiced for this we've prepared for it for months and months and months everybody get their roles right we know exactly what to do because we've done it in training and then the guys went out there and, and did it I think afterwards it was more of sort of a relief than anything else <laughs> <laughs> you did it 17 tw well 20 yes in the yeah. last minute in dying seconds wow and did you have that belief before the game that it was up for grabs you could do it oh we never doubted ourselves even That's when the, the scores were drawn mm -hmm. were drawn we never doubted ourselves and i think that was something that as i said it was instilled not just in the tournament itself. That was something that we'd instilled two, three years beforehand, making sure our preparation was uh, was as well prepared as we could have been. 
look, of course, it was. It, it was. If you take a step back and look in from the outside, it was a brilliant final. It was so close. It went to extra time. Elton Flatley's kicking and his nerve, you know, was world class to keep Australia in there. They scored first. Robbo scored. You know, it was a it was a fabulous looking out. Obviously, it was fabulous more so because we won, but it was just a fabulous occasion to be part of. And I remember sitting in the changing room with some of the the Australian players at the, at the end of the game. It wasn't having a beer. It wasn't shouting and jumping around. It was more we just sat having a beer, and it was more oof, quite a big weight off your shoulders. Yes, uh, and but then we partied. For how long was it? A week, a week I guess. Oh, 72 I can't hours. Remember now. It was far too long. It far was far too long. long. I don't think my my head wasn't thanking me. That was for sure. Yes. I bought lots of paracetamol. <laughs> <laughs> and then you flew back to London, and you were treated like royalty. Actually, yeah. you went to uh, you were invited uh, to Buckingham Palace, and I think there is a picture of you, of the whole team with the Queen. Yes, that's correct. That was yeah. We got lucky. The trip back was fantastic. We got went to Penny Hill where all our stuff was waiting for us, family, friends, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Had a reception with Her Majesty, and then had uh, the parade was just incredible. Yes. A million people on the streets of London. I think it, it, it was. It was just. It was just a moment in your life that is just very, very difficult to explain, but just an incredible few days that that we had. A world when it was like in the blink of an eye it went, but just I think how happy that everybody was. People sort of galvanized sort of the country from the sporting achievements wise and look to be part of it is you know is obviously a, a dream of a lifetime and i really really hope that this time in 2023 will be france turns because france yeah. was, i think three times a semi-final oh there's God, no reason why france. it can't be there's no reason why can't france can't do it i don't think obviously yeah. there's going to there's always good teams and france have got an exceptionally good team. Let's see what happens in, in one and a half, two years. Exactly. And, you know, we're pretty good at football. We won twice, you know, the World Cup, unlike... The French. Oh, I can say we now. We've won a World Cup. Too well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So everything's got... Uh, but we've got now. We've got a good um, good plan in, in place. So let's wait and see. I really hope that France can win the Grand Slam this time as well. Yeah. I think they won seven games out of nine. Which, well, eight out of ten now. But it's about time that we win some silverware. And in terms of players, as well, you know, in the 2003, you played against the usual suspect, Fabien Gatier, Dominici. Who else did you play again? Oh, I forgot. There's so uh, many. Uh, so some of some of Fred, them have become Fred, coaches. Fred Michelac, Serge Betson. He was in the team. Yes. Oh, some of some of the French greats. I think. I think that night we were very happy when we played France in the in, in the rain because France, France had been playing well. Uh, and I think once it started raining, for us, that was a dream yes. come true. Obviously, with our kicking game, our forwards were just absolutely immense. And then we put we put the French team to the sword. I think we just played off their mistakes, put a lot of pressure on them. 
You did. And Dominici did say in one interview after the game, he said, you know, it rained. You know, there was, unfortunately, we didn't prepare for that. He did say, it didn't really rain. It poured out. <laughs> exactly. <high> open. It <laughs> was a, a sign from the God, you know. Oh. The, uh, I spoke with Serge Benson as well. And Serge Benson, my podcast, mentioned that the year before, 2003, France won the Grand Chelem. But England learned lessons from the French team. England won yeah. the Six Nations because you you really analyze the weaknesses of of the French team. And but um, never mind, that's history. Let's look forward and see what happens this Six Nations. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have a so, foot in both camps now, so you know it's quite. It's nice for me. When France win it, I feel good. <laughs> when yeah, England win, absolutely. I feel good. <laughs> so you played for Little while Lead, Gloucester, and then you moved to Biarritz. What, what were the reasons? Why did you move to, to France along, you know, the like of Kuchesny and and Johnny Wilkinson and yeah. Ben Cohen and so on to um, La Belle France? I had. It was a, it's a, look, it was a, for many reasons. I've been in the UK for 12 years. I was getting probably a bit stale. I want, I really wanted... One of my goals maybe was to play in the Super Rugby and Australia was something that I'd looked at in previous years to maybe go and play in Australia, but it was just too far away. Obviously, I, the money was good uh, coming to France at the time, the lifestyle. There were other options in France, but I think having taken any pieces of advice for my family at the time was to come to Biarritz. If I wanted to really get a change of culture, and to experience something completely different to the UK, it would be to come to somewhere like Biarritz, the Pay Basque area, just on the on the border with Spain. It's not like anywhere else in France. Maybe if you go to the Catalan, Catalonia, the side over there, it may be. But then again, they have their different um, nuances, etc. And, you know, people just said, look, take your family down there. They'll absolutely love it. And they got the idea was to stay for two years and see what happens. And I think after my first season, I re-signed for a further three years. And then, yeah, we loved it. We loved it. So I retired, I think, in two, the end of 2014 slash 15. I played my last game in 2014, but officially retired in 2015. And we've been here ever since. <laughs> Wow, wow. So when you came to, to Biarritz, you know, what were the main differences between playing in an English team versus a French team? Oh, I think there was, there was, a, there was definitely at the time the English teams were more professional. There was no doubt about it. And that was one of the, you know, in the morning I was used to coming in England training and then having egg white omelettes, protein shakes supplements vitamin all these different things and then in France where I came and I remember <laughs> after our, one of our first pre-season sessions I went into the Bayo cafe where you know you can order any food you want I ordered an omelette and had my protein shake and I walked outside and uh, <laughs> I remember Dimitri, Imanol, Serge all all the the French superstars that we had at the time and world-class players they were all outside drinking coffees just talking and they were just I think Dimitri just said to me Balch this is we are in France now not not in the UK <laughs> um, welcome to the French culture and the way of life so <laughs> there's, there's lots of little things I think one thing just the amount of players the young players that France have just their skill level is so good 
But I think they could just never, I think there was a huge, the mentality side of things, the the consistency side of things, as I mentioned before, it was just something not instilled in the players. Everybody talks about French flair as though they can just turn it. French flair for me is consistency. You know, all these guys have got, they can't, they are very, very good players, but what they just lacked is a bit of, to be consistent. Where now, as you see the clubs that have been around the league, there are some exceptionally good teams and good players who in the French championship who are getting to the quarters and semi-finals of the Heineken Cup every year. And now you see the French team is reaping the rewards because they have got the consistency. And I think that's the big difference when I first arrived to where it is now. The, the players have always been good. But I just think now they've realised they've just got that extra level of professionalism, that extra level of do I go and do my ice baths or do I go and sit on the beach for the next hour, two hours, you know. And it's for them to be where they're at now. They've got that level of consistency, that level of professionalism has just increased. They have always been and always had really, really good players, which starts from obviously the youth rugby. I was shocked actually when I came out at how many people played rugby out here. When you looked at the the young uh, teams, I think around Biarritz, I can't remember exactly how many clubs there are, different clubs, but it's, it must be over fifty. If you look in the in the in the in the region, a huge amount of people play rugby, and obviously want to play for the, for their local big teams in the top fourteen. Yes, absolutely, and from Biarritz as well. There are some really prestigious uh, former player. So, for instance, the renowned Serge Blanco, number 15. How did you feel when you wore the same jersey as him at Biarritz? So, well, he's, he is an icon of, of world rugby, of rugby. Someone told me a story, actually, that in a museum in New Zealand, it could be the all-black new there, the museum just has Kiwi rugby players on the walls. Apart from one person, out of the history of rugby, there is only one other person on the wall in the museum, and that's a huge photo of Serge playing rugby against New Zealand. That's how high regard they they hold him. They hold him in the highest regard over there, and he he was he was an absolute uh, superstar of, of of rugby, I mean, of French rugby, and rugby itself. I think I think without Serge Biarritz would never have been the club that it that it uh, that it came to be. He was very passionate sometimes too passionate when you come in at half time and he starts screaming at you because you've not done something right. <laughs> but um, he was, no, he's, he's a great guy. Uh, really, really good for me. It's just an absolute icon of rugby. He still watches Biarritz play. Yes, that's correct. I've been told. Yes, no, I've, I've, I've seen him around town driving his car, bump into him occasionally, uh, obviously see how he's doing. He still thinks he can still play. Which um, <laughs> I don't tell him otherwise, but no, look, he, he's a good guy, and you know, as I said, was just an unbelievable rugby player. So yeah, exactly, and the like, you know, Biarritz as well. You join you know, the likes of who was there? I mean, the, obviously, Serge Betson was he still? No, he was probably retired at that stage. Serge, no, no, Serge Betson was he? Wasn't at Biarritz? He moved to Wasps. And how he still lives in the UK. He, you know, he had a great life at Wasps. Well, Serge was just an iconic French rugby player, very, very tough competitor. 
Jerome Tion, I played with Imanol, obviously, Dimitri Yashvili, Fabian Barcella. Oh, look, when I arrived, I think we had, there was 40 people in our team, and I think 30-something of them had played internationally. You know, Magnus Lund, who I played with, for England with, is, is I played with here. Eric, his brother's over here. Look, I, lot of the Lieberman brothers at some stage, they were a bit before my time. Joe Roth played for Beeritz. I played against him when I played for Bath. So it's been, I think Beeritz is one of those, if you look through the last 20, 30 years of rugby, there's been some, it's been a powerhouse of European rugby. Unfortunately, at the moment, due to various reasons, you know, it's slipped a little bit and in Pro D2, but hopefully with the new investment and the new Madame Le Maire, who come in and really wants to put a big emphasis on bringing, bringing the team back up to the top four teams. And hopefully in the next few years, we'll see it as a big European powerhouse. It might be, it might be, especially if uh, the top 14 becomes uh, top 16. That will give more way, it will expand, yeah. you know, the, uh, the the French tournament. Absolutely. And your life in, in Biarritz, so you liked it so much, you decided to stay in Biarritz and your kids are fluent in French now. And, yes, uh... <laughs> they're a lot better than me at French, that's for sure. I think they're embarrassed <laughs> when uh, I order when we go to a restaurant, when the restaurants are open or if we go to a shop and I order in French, they still can't believe how bad my accent is. So, yeah, it's, we, lo- we absolutely love it here. We've got very, good, oh, get very good French friends, fantastic quality of life. We have Spain on the doorstep, the mountains, the sea. It's, uh, we're very, very, very happy. You know, very lucky we found such a, such, a, such a great place. The only problem is, I would say, is that at this part of year, it rains for about four months, which <laughs> is, the, is the only downside. But I can, coming from the north of England, I can cope with that. Yes. And finally, Ian, are you still in touch uh, via WhatsApp with some former rugby players from the iconic World Cup 2003? Yes, 100%. We, we're on lots of groups. There's a huge rugby group, not just... <laughs> It's of all ex-players. I think it's called Smutby Rugby. But it's called, what is it called? Smutby Rugby. It's, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good group, uh, great group of, there's many groups actually, rugby players, businessmen, friends all over the world. And, you know, it's great. It's always good. So if you go to South Africa, you go to Australia, you go anywhere, you can always just text somebody, yes. someone's around. I think the one beautiful and great thing about our sport is that the connectivity globally, everybody has yes. a, the same sort of mindset. Everybody is very friendly, very open to help one another. And I think that's what's such a very important and great thing about uh, rugby. Absolutely. All about connections, French rugby connections. I believe you're still in touch with somebody close to royalty, Mike Tindall, <laughs> his best man to his wedding. And you were wearing a black high for, an okay, for the occasion as well. Uh, yes, I know. My, my mother wasn't very happy about that. Uh, but uh, yes, now I still speak to Mike and the, the family on a regular basis. So yeah, no, yeah that wasn't one of the, my, the ideal moments turning up to, to his wedding with a black hair. But it wasn't from fighting because, one, I couldn't fight. It's basically, I felt I had an accident on my, on my scooter the week before. It hit my uh, head, unfortunately. But these things happen. Exactly. I'm sure you must have had a good stack night, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> because what, what remains at stack night remains, you know... What stag night? 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> silence, silence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Ian. I really have really appreciated you reminiscing, you know, some more of your memories. Et, and uh, yeah, j'espère, j'espère que la France va, va gagner. Et puis, bonne chance pour l'Angleterre. I say, I hope if France is going to win the Six Nations and I still wish the best for, for England man. as well. They, they could be number two. That's fine. You know, we back. shall see. Don't, <laughs> don't discount us. I think we could come back well. But if France win, then so be it. <laughs> exactly. If you look at la- what happened last year, they lost their first game against France. So yeah. anything can happen. So hence the reason why we really wanted to, to score lots of points against Italy because we learned from our lesson. Yeah, very true. So, okay, merci beaucoup. Je vous en prie. So, Italy versus France. Yeah, yeah, go on, you go first. <laughs> uh, as I said to you, you know, it was very much, you know, it wasn't uh, a very suspenseful game. We knew about the outcome, but the objective for Les Bleus were to score as many points as possible because they got burnt last year during the Six Nations where they lost mm-hmm. the, the first place because the England team had more points than the French one. So this time, you know, they learned a lesson. Yeah, final score was 50 to 10. That was a plethora of, uh, of tries, seven tries. Can you yeah. imagine? So uh, seven tries, the first one, six minutes from da- Dylan Crétin, followed by Arthur Vincent, 29 minutes. Before that, you had Ficou, 27 minutes. Uh, 49 minutes du limb, so that meant they, they had they got the bonus point uh, followed by of course he had to to score a try every, every time Antoine Dupont at the 53rd yeah. minutes uh, Teddy Thomas that many people doubted but I've never doubted about him <laughs> about his prowess uh, scored uh, a double uh, yeah. on the 56 and 30, 73rd minutes so altogether Seven tries, one try for Italy at the 64 minutes. Um, yes, Miranda. But interesting, three tries in eight minutes for France when Julian, Dupont and Thomas, you know, that really finished off the game totally. Not that it wasn't, wasn't finished before. I say three tries in eight minutes. 15 points from the boot of uh, Jalibert. Yes. You know, you know, Italy, they had some great build-up phases and they looked really impressive, but they just couldn't finish off anything you know and a very young team that found France too physical and and too hot to handle one thing the old Italians always used to give you was it was a bit of a tough time up front but that wasn't the case this time and, and you know France were, were were clear winners as you say Dupont outstanding once again Van Sotten Ficou looked really good in midfield and of course the twinkling feet of Teddy Thomas you know never in doubt and you know what a great win for France it was indeed. Yeah, regarding the Italian team, I agree with your comments. It was a very young and inexperienced team. So we missed the like of the experienced Sergio Paris and, and others. And they, they did try, but not good enough, I'm afraid. The only thing you can, if you had to criticise France again, it's, it's the discipline. Not quite so bad as, as usual, but they conceded 12 penalties and you know, they weren't under an awful lot of pressure. So that is, you know, if, you, if you're nitpicking, that is really the only area of concern, I would say. In the stats department, Olivon, as usual, tackled his heart out. The top tackler with 17 tackles. 
Vincent, who, who was in replacing Vakatawa, he covered the most metres, 126. And Aldrich at number eight had the most carries with 11. So, you know, the same old stats merchants coming up. Aldrich always covering ground. Olivon always tackling his heart out, as I say. But but I was very impressed with Vanson. I think he could be building up a good good partnership with Fiku. Definitely. And I have to say, I spotted the hard work from the second row as well. They were yeah. they, they were very effective as well in in tackling some and some beautiful sunshine in Rome as well. You know, you couldn't ask for more, could you? Really? Yes, twenty first degree. But it was a very eerie atmosphere, apparently, because there was no, absolutely no yeah. noise. Yeah. Usually, when you play in, in a secluded environment, in the top 14, for instance, at least, you know, you have some team players that are there to encourage them. But yeah. this time, it was very, very eerie. So, finger crossed that it would be the last time that we'll play without without any supporters. Yeah, but I'm not sure whether the score would have been would have been different. But I don't think. No, I well. don't think it would have made any difference. To be honest, France are pretty clinical these days, aren't they? I don't think they uh, they get carried away. You know, they're even carried away with a victory. Even so, you know, very level-headed group of players. I think. Yes, and the job was done, you know, as yeah. soon as it got the the bonus points, yeah, you know, absolutely. that was fine. But obviously the, the aim was to gain as many points as possible. But one thing I, I spotted is the, the finisher of the benches, when they came on, like uh, Louis Carbonel, you know, didn't yeah. play as well as expected. So um, not sure why but something to bear in mind for next game. Latest regarding France as well, yesterday was announced that Georges-Henri Colomb, who has no caps, is back to his club, Racing 92. And Uni Antonio is going to replace him. And Jean-Baptiste Gros is off and will be replaced by Osan Collingar. Okay. okay. Yes. So you talk about the nice weather in 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 Roma Stad Stadio Olimpico last Saturday. However, on Sunday, so different. Uh, it will be yeah, well, we're talking about different wild scenery. And wind. Actually, in, in Wales, the weather apparently wasn't too bad. It was it was very cold, but you know, a nice dry day. And yeah, what what a, what an interesting and fascinating game. Peter Omani got sent off, as I'm sure listeners know, in the 14th minute. And amazingly, you thought Wales would take advantage of this, but they actually were playing better before the red card. They struggled at galvanised Ireland and they actually led 13-6 at half-time. But, but credit to Wales, two second-half tries. Great try from George North with a show-and-go and a wonderful finish from Louis Rizamit, who got in in the corner. Absolutely brilliant try. Nervous last few minutes, but Wales... Hung on, and, and I think you know this is a really big victory for Wales. It's the first major nation that that Pivac has had a had a win over, it. and I think psychologically it will it will do wonders for them. They made two hundred and thirty four tackles to Ireland's ninety nine. So, despite the talk in the autumn of progressing towards a more running game, you could say Wales reverted to type, and and their defence was pretty good, only conceding. One try. And yeah, 21-16 win. So yeah, we'll take that all day long. I have a question for okay. you, Mike. So if 
Ireland wouldn't have received a red card. Do you think that Wales might have won? Yeah, you never know, do you? I mean, that's one of those things. <laughs> it's weird. It's because it, this happens in games, doesn't it? You see it so many times when a team goes one player down. I don't know whether the opposition get into a sort of subconscious mindset that we've got an extra man. So, you know, we're just going to win this. It happens in football when teams are down to 10 men. You know, invariably, the other side win. But actually, I thought Wales played their best rugby before the sending off. They really kicked some moves together. So, you know, only time will tell. And by the way, Armani's disciplinary hearing yesterday, he was banned for for three weeks or three games. So he'll, he'll be eligible, I think, for the last game in the, in the Six Nations. But, you know, Wayne Barnes had no hesitation when he reviewed the incident. And I don't think there are any real complaints from anybody about that. On the Wales side, the only down point was uh, injuries. Thomas Williams is out for a few weeks with a hamstring injury. Johnny Williams and Hallam Amos are out, certainly for this week because of, uh, of head injuries. And Dan Lydiot damaged his ACL, so he's out you know, for quite a long time by the looks of it. So really, that was the only only sort of downside of, of you know very enjoyable afternoon for for the Welsh fans. And also on the Irish side, Jonathan Sexton, yeah. uh, who is thirty five years old, had to leave the the pitch at fifty six yeah. minutes. Uh, he has suffered from concussion. He takes a battery had, he? Uh, every game. Poor yeah. Johnny, you think, wow, you know, it's... yes. And he had a bump on the side of his temple. They said, you know, afterwards during the press conference that he, he, f- he felt fine. But, you know, he still he hasn't been replaced yet, but he's following the protocol. The, what yeah, do you call the it? HIA I... protocol. Exactly. Yeah. It's a tough, exactly. and with just a six-day turnaround, because it was a Sunday game, you know, you do wonder, don't you? And I think Ireland will really suffer yeah. without, without Sexton, whatever, you know, there's nobody, to, he may be 35, but there's nobody better than him in an Irish shirt. And that could be a, a huge, huge loss for them come the weekend. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually, is it, I'm just looking at my notes. His injury occurred at the 69th minutes when he, his head hit the knee of Justin Justin. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he just seems to be permanently injured, doesn't he? Every time you look, he's lying down and the physio's around him. Poor lad. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, he's such a great player. Yeah. He's got so much to give. And you said, oh, I only have, I've got two more years again, you know, in my legs. Yeah. I can feel it. You know, I want my, my kids to be able to, to watch me in a few years' time again. So, And actually, I, I, I know a lot of people dislike him because of his on-the-field manner. He's quite abrasive and he's quite mouthy. But off the field, he's a lovely Gently spoken guy, really polite and courteous. You know, a, a lovely bloke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I noticed that uh, during the yeah. press conference when I asked him a few questions. He was perfectly, uh, was a gentleman. Okay, you know, bad weather as well when England played against uh, Scotland on Saturday. Did, did anybody see that result coming? No. I mean, it's just incredible, wasn't it? It was. It came a bit as a shock. I didn't see. I didn't, I didn't expect that. Have at you ever all seen from, England play that badly? Team. I mean, really. I mean, Scotland played well, but I mean, England was shocking, weren't they? 
they had a bad day in the office. They had a off day. So could it be because the, the skeleton of the team, the Saracens, uh, Owen, Billy, Marrow played really well. It looked like Marrow was playing Scotland on his own at one point. Yes, but penalty yeah. count was quite. Uh, he made a, a, a few mistakes. That's December, a very good point. I, so, I, that did cross my mind. It must be difficult, you know, to, months later not have any warm up game or. So yeah, I yes. mean, they're lucky that you know Johnny Hill made twenty four tackles in that game. England didn't make a single line break in the whole game. So, you know, what can you say? Conceded fifteen penalties to Scotland's six. England conceded four penalties in the opening five minutes. Things went from, from bad to worse. And what can you say? I think they're fortunate. They've got no disrespect to Italy, but having Italy up next, they couldn't be a better game for them to go out and, uh, and vent their frustrations, I think. Yeah, poor Italian. Gosh, yeah, I think you're right. I think they might bear the brunt of it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So I think it's for uh, Eddie, you know, to go back to the drawing, drawing board and then analyze what went wrong. But he took the defeat, the defeat on his yeah. chest, on his chest. Yeah, yeah. So what did he? And say? various other places, not just his chest, <laughs> I think. <laughs> uh, so so uh, it was a question of he, he recognizes that obviously they are is responsible for part of. of so uh, now the here's the plan. question for you. Sunday, mm -hmm. 3 o'clock, it's Ireland against France in Dublin. The forecast is wet and windy. As you say, Sexton yes. is a doubt. Ireland will be fired up because they lost to Wales. Are France going to do it? Yes. You know why? Tell me. Because the good news is that they trained for two weeks in a sunny Nice before playing for Italy. So they were very prepared for the nice weather. Yeah. And uh, now they're back in Marseille, oh, in the pouring which rain. <laughs> is cold and horrible. And actually, it's snowing in Paris. It was snowing earlier wow. today. So, you know, yeah, so they're getting, getting used to back to the cold weather. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they would be fine. But having said that, when I spoke with Ian Balshaw earlier, he did say, oh, one of the main reasons they won the semi-final in 2003 as well is because the weather yes, was appallingly bad. Yeah. It was raining. It wasn't actually even raining. It was well, it was the, the sky opened yeah. up, and the French didn't really prepare in that possibility. Whereas the English had prepared, yeah. you know, for so for that possibility. And yeah, this, we put the blame and on the weather. Here's a question for you: Who was scrum half for France that day? Do you know? It, it was, was Fabien Gatti, yeah. of course. It was he, he was very 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 annoyed that France l lost, and I think he he took a plane in just a few days later, or one day later, for personal reason. But yes, that we should have done it. But anyway, c'est la vie, never know. So twenty twenty three should be the time. So what do you think will happen from your side with a game between France versus versus uh, sorry Ireland versus? Do you think that France will win, and by how much? Yeah, I think France. I think years. Ago, France would have been a bit flaky and gone away from home and maybe <sighs> folded under pressure. But I think this team is is a very special one. And I think, you know, with Sean Edwards as coach, that's, that's not going to happen. And I think if Sexton isn't playing, I think France could win quite comfortably, to be honest. 
Yes, because it did hurt a lot, Sexton. I remember, was it three years ago when he kicked yeah, that Yeah, an goal? injury time. I remember poor <laughs> he broke, Guillaume Garrado. He on broke the bench, my heart. Just in tears. I mean, it was awful, wasn't it? Was it in 2018 or 2019? Oh, yeah, I think it was 2018. Yeah. And it was like about the 84th minute or something, wasn't it? It was well into the... Yeah, never forget that. Yeah. So if you're, if you're Irish, yeah, you were over the moon, but not, not yeah. French, you broke my heart. But I tell you what I'm looking forward <laughs> so. to is Scotland-Wales, because I think that's on Saturday at 4.45. I think it's going to be fascinating because Scotland's problem has always been consistency. You know, they have a great win. And then the next game, they, they play poorly. So it's going to be fascinating to see if they can back this up. And I think Wales, you know, Wales will have a bit of, uh, a, bit of a, a skip in their skip in their step. Is that the right phrase? I don't know. So, I yeah, don't tell me. <laughs> if George North is fit, it'll be his 100th cap. So I don't know. I, just, I don't know whether I'm just being the eternal optimist here. I've got a sneaky feeling that Wales, Wales can do this, you know. That's nice. Yeah, but when on my nice. sneaky yeah, feet, it's all about believing. Don't always bear fruit. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, depending how Finn Russell and Hoggy oh, you know, what great feel players. I mean, aren't they? Day. Whatever yeah, your so. nationality, they're the sort of players you want to watch, aren't they? Hogg and Russell. Yes. Wow. And that yeah. that spiral kick he did at Twickenham. What was it about eighty meters or something? You think, wow. Top 14, les matchs en retard. Yes, there has been some top 14. It's not the world doesn't re entirely revolve around six nations. What what games did you did you cover? So I watched the highlight for uh, Castres versus Bayonne and Racing 92 versus La Rochelle. Bayonne was an interesting game. Took place in Jacques Fabre. Mm -hmm. Down in the south, halftime was twenty four seven, and the Castro team scored four tries. They managed to get the bonus defensif. However, Cast didn't behave well at all. They got a red card. One player, I forgot his name, got a, okay. a red card at, at the 54th minute. But despite the fact they won, Bayonne scored three tries in the second half time. Uh, sorry, in the first one try in the first half and two try in the second half time. Discipline as well. They got two yellow cards. Bayonne is now is ranked uh, yeah. number thirteen on top 14. Cast is number ten, just below okay. Brive, one point behind Brive. So very very close to to Brive. Uh, then I watch um, Racing ninety two versus La Rochelle. 26-22. Two started really well. Bobigny scored the, f the fastest try in the top 14 of the season so far after two minutes. And uh, it was followed by Vito. Vito is back. Vito and Victor? Yeah. You know, um, Vito from La Rochelle. The Victor New Zealander. Vito. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's why he was off for four months. But altogether, four tries. 18 minutes by Vito. 15 minutes by Bondéon. 61 minus Kerbalou, 66 by Alonso, but it wasn't enough for to win, uh, to beat um, to beat Racing 92. Final score was 26-22. So yeah, well, do, do you know, you there, had... are, there, are few th there are some things in life that are very rare, okay? Haley's Comet, you don't see that very often, yeah? <laughs> A total eclipse, yeah. you don't see that very often. A, Mon A Montpellier yes. win, which is probably the rarest of all things. Well, that actually happened Montpellier beat Stade Francais uh, 31-6. 
would you believe? I mean, can you believe that? I know, but but a very very large margin yeah. as well. They got the bonus defensive, so yeah, something yeah. must have clicked. I I I saw Philippe Saint André speaking after <laughs> after the result, and he said, "Finally, I can have a relaxing weekend yeah. now." Because <laughs> poor Philippe Saint André, yeah. you know, since he took over from managing the team, defeats after defeats. So I hope they are on, on the way up. And, you know, they're ranked, um, they're ranked number Yeah, they've gone now. up, haven't they? gone up in the world. But they have actually played two more mm-hmm. games than Bayonne. So that could be short-lived. But, yeah, three tries for Montpellier. Yes. They led half-time 23-6. So uh, there was no sort of last-minute panic holding on to victory. And, uh, you know, a great win for them. Clermont, they beat Lyon. 26-16. Morgan Parra doing the damage there. The ageless scrum half, 16 points from the boot. Two tries for Clermont. For Leon, six penalties from Wisniewski. Uh, Clermont led just by a single point, 10-9 at half time. But as I say, they, they went out winners, 26-16. So, yeah, good news. And uh, I'm trying to think. What is, was I going to say something intelligent then? But it's gone. No, it's there will be some yes. more catch up uh, matches next week because looking at the um, at the ranking at the top fourteen table, all teams have played sixteen games so far, except for Toulouse who played fifteen, La Rochelle yeah. fifteen, Toulon fifteen, fifteen, and uh, Bayonne. You're absolutely right. You know they missed uh, two two games, so they're fourteen. So we're nearly yeah, nearly very there. close at the top, isn't which it? Is, Toulouse top. Is. 52 points, La Rochelle second, 50, and Racing third with 50. So, yeah, getting really yes. tight up there. And as you say, this weekend, on Friday night, Toulouse face Poe. Saturday, the Bordeaux are at home to Stade Francais. Agen are at home to Clermont. Castra, they face Montpellier. Racing are at home to Lyon. Toulon face La Rochelle, and then finally on Sunday, Bayonne against Breve. So uh, plenty of top 14 action, as well as Six Nations action this weekend. Yes, and all regarding 42, you know, my Breton team is uh, stopping the league. So Van, yeah, absolutely. So they are looking, looking good. But again, like... Pro OD2 and top 14 yeah, is a marathon, yeah. you know, it's not a <laughs> it's not a sprint, so we still have a few more weeks ahead, but it's looking very, very positive. French lesson, la leçon de français. So talking about six um yep. nation, Mike. I've got a good okay. one for you. So in English you say a grand yes. slam. How do you say grand that en français? Oh, yeah. oh, very good. Okay, how do you spell Schlem? C-H-L-E-M. Not bad at all, but it's a Schlem. Oh, okay, C-H-E-L-E-M. One one for such a long time, I've forgotten how to spell it. Ten years ago. And he's going to come home soon. Unlike Wales. Yes, I know, I know. Don't rub it in. Is it time for a rugby joke? You want a rugby joke, do you? Yes, do you have okay. one? Okay. 
All right, I've got a good one. Well, I think it's a good one. Topical one, Italy. The, the Italian coach, after the England game, he took them He took them out training on the Monday and he says to them, right, I want you all to assume your normal position. So they all ran behind the posts and waited for the conversion. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> The best I can manage. Uh, that's okay. Yeah, well, she sure, always cute. <laughs> <laughs> Any other business? Yeah, I think when we both discussed uh, this recording, we both came up with the same thing, didn't we? Which was the, uh, the announcement of the sad death of one of the French rugby greats, number eight, uh, Jean-Pierre Bastia, part of that famous 1970s back row, along with uh, Jean-Pierre Reeves and Jean-Claude Scrella. Yes, he was selected 32 times yeah. to play for Les Bleus between 1969 and to 1978. And he did won that Grand Chelem historique in 1977. It will be missed, gone too soon. Yeah, did you know he actually kicked two penalties and a conversion for I didn't, France? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he was heavily involved with the formation of the French barbarians he was actually mid-captain in his last year of playing 1970 and had to retire with it with a knee injury great man of Dax he played for Dax throughout his whole career and as I say sadly passed away age 71 so um, yeah very sad news yes yeah absolutely on a more positive uh, and lighter note Antoine Dupont has been voted the best player of the Six Nations last weekend which doesn't Jolly. come as a big surprise. No, I know. They might as well just give it to him every week, I think. Just... <laughs> Let's wait and see. We don't want him to wear big boots. He got a really nice uh, accolade from Aaron Smith, number nine in, in New Zealand, today on, on Twitter saying, wow, you know, he's very impressed by the talent of of Antoine Dupont and he's learning from Antoine Dupont as well. Wow. <laughs> They could be facing each other in Paris in November if everything goes to plan. What a fascinating battle that will be. Oh, that would be great. So, we're getting ready for another weekend then. Get the Guinness in the fridge, the sponsor's product. We have to make use of that as best we can. Suffer for our art, but it's going to be a great one. Guinness for you will be a nice uh, diet coke for me or green tea. Very, very healthy. (laughs) I hope the game will be more stimulating than some of the games I saw last weekend. You know, there's something about the Six Nations, isn't there? Even without crowds, you know, when it's a slug fest, I just love, I just love every minute of it. In terms of score, what do you think of France, uh, France Island will be? Tell me, Island France. 23-10 23-10 to France. 39. 32-9. Yeah? Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, what about England-Italy then? Oh, England-Italy would be uh, maybe... Oh, okay. Maybe 15 to 35. Yeah, I reckon it's going to be 38-14 to England. Right. And then Scotland and Wales, it would be... Oh, dear, you're putting me on a, on a tight spot here. Mm. Wales will, will try, but I can see Scotland winning by 
uh, Scotland winning seventeen, seventeen to fifteen, something like that. Yeah, that's think. funny because I I've got a two point margin as well because we have to suffer at the end of the game. <laughs> I think it's going to be sixteen fourteen to Wales. Yes, we we'll, we'll see. Anyway, on that note, yeah. You, you will have a great week. Enjoy and you and everybody safe. as well. Thank you all for subscribing. And, you know, the, the listeners are going up and we're very grateful. And um, we'll see you next week. We will indeed. Au revoir. Au revoir. La pendule fait tic-tac, tic-tic. Les oiseaux du lac, pic-pac, pic-pic. Glou, 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 font tous les dindons. Et la jolie cloche, ding-ding-dong. Mais boum, quand notre cœur fait boum. Avec lui dit boum et c'est l'amour qui s'éveille